Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, September 26th, 2017. I'm Sam Rosenberg, and you guessed it, I'm back here with Shaka to talk some football. Shaka, how you doing? Uh, the New York Jets have a better record than the New York Giants. Holy what shit! What is going on? Did hell freeze over? It's just a really weird season... You capped off by a really weird week of football. Dude, very, very strange week of football. And I want to jump right into this because these two games are going to kick us off because our Jets and Eagles are our teams. They both came out with wins, and they both were wins that I think allow us to talk about what what we learned a little bit about these teams and, and also about their opponents. Um, let's jump into these Jets. So the Jets win. They beat the Dolphins at home 20-6. to but uh, that six points was a garbage time touchdown by the Dolphins at the very end of the game and really was pretty meaningless. Like, if you take that away, you can pretty much say that this was a shutout by the lowly New York Jets. Um, j- tell me, okay, talk to me. Give me some reactions. Tell me how you felt. Tell me what you saw. What did you learn about the Jets? Well, definitely very impressed by the defense that the Jets put on the field, uh, especially when you think about really how they're going more with this youth movement mm-hmm. um, and going up against a, a, an Adam GC coach team that actually offensively speaking is pretty, they're pretty dangerous. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, Jay Ajayi was absolutely dominated at the line nonstop. I think they actually tackled them behind the line uh, pretty much all game. He, he could get nothing really going the entire game. Uh, and just, I'm just really amazed by the, the versatility of the, the, the young guys, uh, particularly, of course, our number six draft pick, Jamal Adams, who's mm. all over the place. They played him at safety. They played him at linebacker. They played him at corner. And he, you know what? He delivered, man. I'm looking at his stats right now. He had a sack. He broke up a pass. And uh, he had two tackles. But uh, you know what? At, at the same time, it was just the versatility that he displayed, it was part of this just dominant defense throughout the game. Wow. Really just suffocating defense. And this is something I think... With all of the, you know, bad publicity about tanking that the Jets have been having coming into this season, you know, listen, I think the, the, the positive elements of the defense were always an afterthought. There was always this feeling of, well, they've got a good defense, but we're so clouded with Josh McCown and no wide receivers and, you know, issues in the coaching staff, you know, this real feeling of like, well, we're forgetting that they've got some serious studs on this defense. And I mean, we're also thinking that the defense might have taken a step back because they actually got Sheldon Richardson out of the locker room. And in a way, you know, I want, do you think that's a positive? Do you think that maybe this might have been addition by subtraction, taking Richardson off that team? Uh, You know what? It's entirely, it's a completely valid point. I remember a lot of the fights that happened during the past season were mainly about the defense being questioned and called out. And Sheldon Richardson, just, you know, known for being a confrontational kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He took exception, but it did nothing to really kind of unify them as a team. Uh, mm. the, the Jets beat writer, uh, Rich Smini, talked a lot about uh, the Oakland Raiders loss being a really big motivating factor for the team. Because like we, you and I talked about last week, is you can tell they, they fought up until yeah. halftime they were in that game, and they were really kind of keeping it close. They want to win, regardless of whether or not 
anyone thinks the team is tanking as a whole, mm-hmm. the guys are going on the field because they want to win a football game. Yeah. So I think they really took that that Raiders beat down to heart, and they came out here with that, you know, just a new kind of just twinkle in their eye. They really wanted this, and look, they went and they took it. So I think they look they they know they're not the best team mm-hmm. in the division or in the NFL for that matter, but they're trying to play like they are. Yeah, and you know, I'm really pleased to see some of the cohesion on offense because I think considering everything we we talked about, you know, McCown like listen, I think McCown is is a Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde. We've certainly seen a lot of bad football from Josh McCown, but right now I feel like the Jets are using him in the right ways. I feel as though they're 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 putting him in a position to to play well and you know, I I mean I don't think the Jets have the worst offensive line in football. I mean, I've, I've certainly seen worse offensive lines out there. And yeah. I think that when you put McCown in that spot, you know, he's able to not be terrible. And, and you know, God love him. I think McCown protects the football a little better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he's a little bit more effective than a Geno Smith. And in a weird way, he might actually be one of the best quarterbacks they've had in the last couple of years. Now, I know that's not saying much, but that's oddly a step away from tanking, which it felt like everything was coming into the season. Everyone was like, oh, they're signing McCown. Oh, they're trading away their guys. You know, oh, this is a season we can just scratch off as nothing. No, because you started this this entire conversation by saying the New York Jets have a better record than the New York Giants. And I don't think anybody came into this season thinking that the Jets were going to win more than two games at the most. So now... Okay, I, I'm feeling positive because I do think that, you know, I, I think we saw more of what Bilal Powell could do. Uh, you know, I think we saw with that pass to Robbie Anderson, like, there's a danger. There is an ability to open up this vertical game with the Jets' passing attack. It's not a mirage. And I think that most teams, you know, yeah, the offense isn't impressive, but they can't just mail it in anymore. You know, this isn't, you know, I, I like, I think if you have the Jets play the Saints, and I think they actually play the Saints later this year. You know, the Saints, who have probably the worst defense in football, they got to be scared, because I do think the Jets can put points on them. Yeah. I think um, you touched on it before. Well, you know, the, the Jets know what they have in Josh McCown, and I think the word that we really want to use is they're, they're, they're playing to their strengths. Yeah. One of the things I noticed they did quite a bit of, um, well, a lot of quick slant passes. Yeah. You know, they got guys like, uh, like Curse. And they actually signed Curly, Jeremy Curley, yep. who played last season with the 49ers and was the leading receiver with the 49ers, but before that was a New York Jet, is mm-hmm. back uh, back in the lineup. So they're really using a lot of quick, uh, you know, out-pass plays. And one of the things, like you said, uh, Josh McCown protects the football a lot better. He makes smarter throws. Not necessarily, you know, a, a pro or elite quarterback, but he makes good decisions with the football. Mm-hmm. And that one big throw he had downfield to Robert Robbie Anderson was just basically reading the coverage and realizing that Robbie had a step or two on the defender who, you know, tried to he basically tried to lure him into uh not going for the deep pass and Robbie called his you know, called him on it and he beat him. Mm-hmm. And that's all like that, that's all that guy needs is one or two steps and it's over. So again, there are a few a few promising uh pieces on this Jets offense but really you know um going towards the end of the season the, the defense is 
you know, on the up and up, and it looks promising for next season even. Mm-hmm. But the offense, is, it's still got a lot of holes. It still has a lot of questions. But there are a couple pieces here and there that the Jets have that, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm happy about and I'm excited. I think Robbie Anderson, whether or not he's the number one next year or even in, if he's playing the slot, I think it, he's a great piece to have going forward. Now, before we move off this game, a couple of thoughts. That, do you have any thoughts on the Dolphins? This was, I think, a bit of a reveal because, you know, <laughs> they kind of eked out the win last week against the Chargers where they had this field goal and the Chargers ended up missing a field goal at the buzzer to lose the game. Uh, And I think there were some positives that we took away from that Dolphins victory, but it was a victory, and I think it covered the fact that they squeaked out the win because this time around against the Jets, their offense looked like dog shit. All of a sudden, Jay Cutler, you know, the fact that he hadn't been there all training camp, I think really was exposed. You know, you said it at the beginning of this discussion, Jay Ajayi got stuffed at the line the entire game. I think he had 11 carries for 16 rushing yards on the day. Um any particular closing thoughts on the Dolphins? Do you feel as though they're still dangerous, or do you think that maybe we saw they're worse than we think? No, well, you know what? I still I, I look at them almost identically to the way I looked at them last year because I still wasn't very high on Ryan Tannehill. I mean, he had a great season last year to kind of shut me up, but I still had that kind of mixed bag when you look at the Dolphins. At you can see pretty much either their best or their worst in any given week. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's kind of what you saw today because there were games last year where J.J. would kill you for 200 yards rushing and the next one you'd maybe get 37 yards. So you kind of have this night and day forecast with them. And I think we're going to see some of that this year. They're going to have games where Jay Cutler looks, you know, like he's in command of that offense and he's going to find Jarvis Landry. He's going to find, you know, the other wide receivers in that team and really carve up an, uh, a defense. But and I think the Jets just came in with a better game plan this week. They said we're going to stuff the run no matter what and force Jay Cutler to be the guy to beat us. And we know Jay Cutler likes to hold the football, and he paid for it a few times um, on offense where he got sacked or he got rushed into making some bad and inaccurate throws. So I think they really, really need to kind of uh, come out of the locker room at halftime with a new strategy because they got absolutely demolished with the same pretty much strategy the entire game, and they had no answer for it. Yeah, that is definitely something that Miami's going to have to figure out. Cutler was sacked three times in this game. Uh, All right, let's move on to my Eagles, because I'm also feeling positive. The Eagles won against also a division rival, the New York Giants, winning their home opener 27-24 on a 61-yard game-winning field goal by nobody from nowhere, Jake Elliott, who was signed off the practice squad from the Bengals, to replace the Eagles kicker who went on IR after week one. Lots of things to say about this game. You know how passionate I am about the Eagles. Um, I really enjoyed what I saw from the Eagles. Uh, You know, I I like how they're mixing it up. I think they still have flaws, but I really am impressed with Carson Wentz and his ability. Listen, when the pocket collapses sometimes, he's still able to Russell Wilson his way into a new play. He's able to scramble out of the pocket. He's able to find passes when they're not there. He's able to shake tackles. Um, But... I kind of almost feel like this is more of a discussion about the Giants because what was really more sort of dramatic was seeing the Giants screw up as often as they did. Um, there were constant sort of moments where I think they had an opportunity to get a, to get on top of Carson Wentz and the Eagles offense, and they couldn't. Um, there were plenty of opportunities to sort of move the ball down the field on offense, and they couldn't do that either. They found a way to turn—I mean, Eli Manning was throwing interceptions. They found a way to turn the ball over, and 
if it wasn't for some Odell Beckham Jr. magic in the fourth quarter... Unbelievable. I'm unbelievable what happened in the... I mean, the fourth quarter tells the tale of the entire game because there were mistakes by the Eagles where the Giants could take advantage and they couldn't. Then there were mistakes by the Giants where the Eagles could take advantage and they couldn't. I mean, it was 7 nothing at the half. And then we're walking into the fourth quarter and the Giants scored all 24 of their points in the fourth quarter and had a 24-14 lead. That's why I'm saying the discussion is here. What the hell happened? Because they fell apart like a cheap suit at the end. I guess my question is for you. Tell me what you're seeing from this Giants team. Are they, I mean, is it time to hit the panic button? What's going on? Well, look, let's start this off with pretty much what's going to be the obvious. The NFC East by the end of this whole thing is going to be a goddamn mess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Eagles right now are 2-1. The Giants are 0-3. And I mean, honestly, if we have to like forecast this clearly, I think the Eagles are going to have probably a, a better, better time just kind of managing the schedule going forward. The mm-hmm. Giants still have to face Kansas City. They still got to face the Oakland Raiders. They still got to face Arizona, which is not a great team right now, but still dangerous. Yeah. You know, Seattle, Washington, I mean, Denver, they have so many teams on the schedule still that really can put a dent in whatever chance they're trying to make the playoffs. So... One, that offensive line is just terrible, terrible, terrible nightmare, especially a right guard. Oh, Um, my God. And look, and they're going to face the Eagles, not to knock your Eagles defense. It's aggressive. It's okay. It's it's okay. They've got problems. Go ahead. But I mean, when what do you do when you faced, you know, the Denver Broncos, uh, you know, one, two punch when you got to kind of hold back a Von Miller? What happens when you got to stop Khalil Mack when you face Oakland? Kansas City, I mean, they really have some big questions that are – it's going to put them a step behind in every game. It's all, um, um, pretty much like saying the game starts off negative 7 to 0. You yeah. know, they're going to be a touchdown down every game. So I think the Giants, one, have to address the offensive line. The defense had some good moments. Yeah, they did. In this game. I mean, they, they, they really tried hard. They um, had some, you know, costly uh, fumbles on the Eagles' part mm-hmm. that they took advantage of to keep them in this game. And I think that's the only thing that kept the Giants in this game at certain parts. I remember yeah. at the beginning of the game, Carson Wentz almost, you know, he almost got a safety to start the whole thing off. Yeah. <clears throat> but again, it's the Giants' defense is still, you know, solid enough to give them a fighting chance. It's the only thing I can say positively right now for this team. Everything else is just going on a down and out, especially that schedule is probably the scariest part to me. Yeah, the the offensive line was particularly disappointing because I do think some of their offensive plays, the run game is 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 a non-factor. Like, I have not seen any run game from the Giants in all three games. Paul Perkins is no. not doing much of anything, and the offensive line's so bad they can't get anything going. So they're trying to attack through the air, and, you know, they I feel like they throw slants every single friggin' play. And sometimes which they, don't need to. which they need to, but the truth is sometimes the offensive line is so bad they don't even have enough time to throw a slant. And so you get into that situation where the pocket is collapsing and Eli either is sacked or he throws an interception. And some of what you and now some of what you saw happen in the fourth quarter, in my opinion, is Eli taking advantage of the secondary. Because the yeah. Eagles' secondary, it's not a mystery anymore. This, it's, it was bad coming into the season, and it's just gotten worse as the injuries have piled up. Darby's still down. McLeod didn't play in this game. Um, I think uh, someone else, I can't remember right now, but I think somebody else might have actually had to leave the game in the middle of the game. 
Uh, oh, and uh, not even the secondary, Fletcher Cox left the game, I think, uh, third quarter, something like that. So that was actually, you know, another moment where the offense started to open up because the Eagles weren't getting the same pass rush they were in the first half. Uh, yeah. And that's where you started to see Odell Beckham Jr. score these touchdowns. And that's where you kind of get that fear of the Eagles truly being able to close out a game. Because some of these games, and this happened last season, they would jump out to a big lead, and then they really wouldn't be able to close out the game. And that's where I felt good with the defense this year, because I thought this defense can close out games. But I think the Giants shot themselves in the foot, and I think the Eagles were a little lucky to, to come out with a victory, because the Eagles are still flawed in a way where they let games go, like we saw. And, you know... That field goal was, I mean, it was amazing because there are some bad plays that happened in this game. You might not remember it, but there was a, a fourth and six right around midfield at the end of the first half yes, where the Eagles went for it. And you're sitting there going, what the fuck are they doing? Like calls like that where you're really scratching your head and you're really going, you know, I don't know about Doug Peterson, what the hell he was thinking right there. So I think the Eagles are still vulnerable to make those mistakes. And with a team like the Giants, they could sort of pull out victory from the jaws of defeat. And, I, and what I'm saying is, going down the line for the Eagles, I don't think they're going to be so lucky against opponents like the Broncos. You know, opponents like the Seahawks. Yeah, I, look, um, I really, really, really... Look, we got two um, second-year head coaches facing each other. Yeah. So you, you kind of expect there to still be some questionable calls. But I... I really don't know how this gets any better for the Giants right now. You're looking at two teams with kind of two different roads. The Giants are on their way down. And the Eagles, which, like you said, they're going to make some mistakes. But they're, they're on their way up. Young, but they're on their way up. Uh, Carson Wentz, every game I see, he you know, he looks like he has the poise. He's, he had a couple yes. of great plays. There was one running play. God, I remember. Oh, yeah. Just shaking and baking his way down the field. Dude, like, he looks like Russell Wilson sometimes, man. He's level. He's a level-headed guy, and I think it's one of those intangibles you think about when you see a quarterback. And I'm going to use this as a comparison. And I've talked to you about it via text message before. Deshaun Watson, mm. who had a great game against the Patriots, but there were times where he just looked so shaky, and he made some plays that made me cringe. I don't get that with a Carson Wentz. I don't get like cringeworthy. Sometimes when you see him throw the football, it'll sail a little bit. Mm -hmm. but that's really you know any NFL quarterback can underthrow or overthrow a football in that. But everything else that Carson Wentz brings to the field, it makes you feel like there's something to look forward to. Right now, Eli Manning's got so much firepower. I can think of five or six quarterbacks that could die with the amount of weaponry that he yeah. has. Imagine Tom Brady with the receivers oh that, my God. That, that Eli Manning has to throw to, and they can't get anything going. I mean, this is the first time that he actually finally got some points on the board really in a game but look at what it has to happen it had to come towards the end of a game you know with a little bit of desperation and just again we had odell beckham jr making just just insane, insane miraculous catches, catches that just to keep them in the game and keep them fighting and they still end up losing so i you can't have a miracle you can't make the playoffs and miracles every week now so uh, something's got to change how much of the real quick how much of this do you think is the coach do you think do you think you can lay a handful of this on the coach of the giants if if not the coach, it's got to be the offensive coordinator. They've got to do. They've got to mix it up a little bit more. You have too much talent to have Brandon Marshall 
you know, Catherine Risky screen passes on the sideline. That's not really his forte. That's what you yeah. do with Odell Beckham Jr. You do that with Sterling Shepard. Just, I, I mean, play to your strengths. You, you have guys who can make plays, and they're just not really getting opportunities to do that. Evan Ingram has shown that he can play as well. Uh, you, you should have every time you have three or four of those guys lined up on the field, mm-hmm. the defense should be nervous. They should be looking to take an extra five yards back mm. every time they line up, and that's not happening. So something's got to change. And I, I don't want to point a finger at the offensive coordinator, but once you get to the sixth game of the season, the seventh game of the season, and you're still not putting points on the board, something's got to get shaken up. I couldn't agree more. I um. Uh, the last thing I'll mention is, uh, you know, just sad news for the Eagles. Darren Sproles done for the year. Tore the ACL. Broke his arm on the same play. I mean, my God. Um, just on, just sad because, listen, Sproles is, let's be let's be honest, man. He's, I think he's Hall of Fame caliber. I think he's one of he's the greats. He's one of a kind, for super, sure. Super classy. You know, really exciting. To, I mean, I was really excited when he came to the Eagles. I'm excited that he's still, you know, because in NFL – you're always ready for someone to get cut and never show up in the league again. And just Sproles right. came back year after year, and it's just sad. I'm going to miss him. I don't know if he'll be back next year. I mean, this might be the end of his career. It's really sad if that's the case. But I just, you know, I just got to pour one out for him. It was sad to see him go. Um, uh, Eagles signed Kenyon Barner, if you remember him from last year. Yes. He was like their third or fourth. They brought him back on a one-year deal. Um, and I think with, um, with Sproles out, you're going to see more from Corey Clement, who – you know, you might not know his name yet, but he was a, you know, undrafted practice squad guy who made the roster up for the Eagles, and he actually had a very impressive touchdown in the fourth quarter. He was the guy, after Sproles left the game, you know, they clearly, you know, Blunt plays a role, and Wendell Smallwood plays a role. So when Sproles left the game, Clement came in to play that role, and Clement had a nice little touchdown run, and I think you're going to hear his name more. Um, so Kenyon Barner will be in the mix, but I, Corey Clement, I'm not saying he's the second coming of Emmett Smith, but I'm saying, I think you're going to see his name pop up on the ticker a little bit more and the Eagles are going to use him more when they try to, you know, kind of fill in for the, the losses they've taken in the running back, uh, core. Uh, all right. I think that's all I got for this Eagles game. Um, but I'm going to dovetail, I'm going to move right into Deshaun Watson, the Texans and the Patriots, because we saw Tom Brady magic. We saw it all over again. It was everything we could want. It was a, it was a two-minute drive. They're losing. They need a touchdown to score. He throws a couple of miraculous passes, and somehow they win the game in the closing seconds, and you know we get another Tom Brady moment. That's amazing. What we're not talking about is the reason he had to do all of this shit is because the Patriots couldn't stop the Houston Texans. They're at home. They're in Gillette Stadium, and like you said... Deshaun Watson looked a little shaky here and there. There were a few plays where he looked fucking amazing, okay? And this is an offensive line that cannot protect him. So, Shaka, I think what I really want to ask you about is, what is this telling you more about, the Patriots or the Texans? Well, I think we've had the same issues we've always had with the Patriots' defense. They've Look, they've gotten cooked a few weeks in a row now uh, in terms of being able to stop other teams. So I, I don't think it's telling us anything new in regards to the Patriots' defense, except that they're still underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what it is telling us is that maybe we finally have someone who can move the football for the Houston Texans. Because, uh, look, uh, we had Brock Osweiler last year throwing, I think was averaging, what, six yards a pass? Something abysmal. Something terrible. Was, Something shockingly abysmal. bad. 
And Tom Savage was almost as bad and so bad to the point that, you know what, the rookie who I think we would all have agreed in the offseason that he just quite wasn't ready for the starting job. I agree. Has no choice but to take the starting job away from him because the the coach probably took off his headset and got to God. We just we, we don't have a choice. We got to do something here. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Deshaun Watson in this game against, I mean, the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah. Gave him through punches back. He, he got as good as he received. And I mean, he really kept this team in it and fighting right down to the end until Tom Brady had to do the routine two-minute drill and just absolutely carve up uh, an amazing defense. I mean, can we talk about also how fucking good a defense the Texans have? Yes, please. You have J.J. Watt and you have Jadavian Cloudy. I mean, it's almost unfair. It's laughably unfair that you have these two guys in a defense. Yeah. And Tom Brady still comes down and puts up a game-winner on that team. It, so, I mean, look. I mean, it's frustrating because we're not even talking about a guy like Whitney Merciless, who's a world yeah, beater Merciless in himself. Yeah, had a great game, too. And, you know, I, let's let's jump right on that because this defense was not silent <laughs> in this game. I mean, there was they were getting pressure on Tom Brady. You know, I think uh, the offensive line for the Patriots was struggling because they've been hit by some injuries. I think Marcus yes. Cannon and Nate Solder weren't playing. And you saw that in this game because the Texans got after Brady. And yeah. let, let's just go ahead and say it. There was that interception. I don't know what the fuck it was, but it was a turnover where Jadavian Clowney took it to the house. I think they ruled it a fumble in, in, that, in this one. But, but, I, but again, it, it's not to say that the Texans defense played poorly. They gave them everything they possibly could. And against all odds, which is usually probably all the Patriots players who've been there longer than five years should have a fucking tattoo that just says against all odds. <laughs> you have Tom Brady throwing touchdown passes to Chris Hogan, um, who I picked up in fantasy, by the way, on a fluke. And I sat him on the bench because I said nothing was going to happen. Of course. Um, you have just Danny Amendola, who probably didn't even know what stadium he was playing in. Oh, my still God. Still making big plays. I just... Gronk, who we're not guaranteed to see him for more than four or five games this season, making big plays. Yeah. And Tom Brady literally pulled as much magic as he could have out of every single player on that team. And, yeah. of course, the new addition at wide receiver. Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks playing like he's been with the team for fucking nine years. He's playing like, God, what's his name? Deion Branch. Dude. He's playing like Deion Branch out there, which is absurd to me. And they go and they beat uh an unstoppable defense as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I just... So, uh, no, continue. But, I, I mean, I think when you just put the scope, when you, I really sat and I thought about it, and I was like, man, any other team who had to go up against two defensive ends, just the front line, a defensive front line like Houston puts out every game. And your offensive line is not necessarily Swiss cheese, but it's not anything I'm buying into, and you still win. It's just not fair. It's just ridiculous. We can't glaze over the fact that, you know, Tom Brady, there was a couple of, there was a handful of plays that could have easily gone the other way in this game. You know, there were some throws that, oh, it was a tip pass and it slips through the hands of the defender. There was a throw where, you know, I mean, all of these moments, he's just, just inches away from turning the ball over, but somehow he magically, I mean, there was a play where he was like inches from being sacked and he sort of tossed the ball in the air and Gronk catches it. I mean, this absurd shit that he does. (laughs) And yet, you know, we can't come away. And you said it, man, the Texans, man, they found Deshaun Watson because that offensive line is so bad for them 
that, I mean, Watson was scrambling all over the place, running for his life, but yet he was still making plays. And I think you said it. I think the story of this game is not so much the Patriots, you know, magic comeback, because that's not new news, or the Patriots' atrocious defense, because that's not new news. The new news is Deshaun Watson looking like an NFL-level quarterback who is having growing pains, but you know what? Like you said, I think the Texans have found their quarterback, and they already got a defense. So they're positioned well, and I think, yeah, it was a bit much to, I think, uh, see them upsetting the Patriots on the road, but, I mean, listen... Bill O'Brien should be as upset as he is after the game because he knows it. He knows they had that game. They had it right in their hands. And then Bill Belichick and Tom Brady do what they always do. But I don't think this is going to last. This de- this defense could be the undoing of the Patriots this year. I mean, it's only a matter of time. I, you know what? They're, they're probably going to make the playoffs. Yeah. They're going to make the playoffs. Of course. And I think it's going to come down to another team with a solid defense that really, again, can apply pressure because really at the end of the day there's no secret to beating Tom Brady there's no magical formula it's just you got to apply pressure you got to give him you know as little time in the pocket as possible because you he that's probably the thing he does best is he reads the field so well that if you give him too much time to let his receivers even get a smidgen of separation he's going to put it he's going to put the ball exactly where it needs to be and there was one big play uh, in particular, God, why do I keep forgetting his name? Was it uh, Cooks or Hogan? Brandon Cooks. Brandon yeah. Cooks caught like a slant pass. It was maybe he caught it maybe 18 or 19 yards out. And took and it took 20, 20 yards. He took, yeah, he took it another 20. He took it like, I think it was like a 48, 40, 45 or 48 yard touchdown pass. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, it's threading the needle and, you know, getting the ball exactly where it needs to be. So uh, you can't make mistakes like this with Tom Brady because you did it in the Super Bowl last year. He made the exact right play every single time. So I, he's every offensive coordinator's dream. Just just run it the way I showed it to you. Dude, I, I just – how does I, – I don't I – how does how does he keep doing it? I, I don't understand. And the guy's 40 years old. We've at, When Peyton Manning was 40, I mean, he had a noodle for an arm. <laughs> literally. Lit, literally ripped his head off. All right, let's so, – yeah. No, well, go ahead. You have a finishing thought. I want to move us into I this mean, last I, game. I think that's it. I think I'm just speechless. Actually, I am. I I don't know how this this team goes to the Super Bowl again. Uh, I'm I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna slide us right into because we were talking all about the Texans. The last game I want to talk about was the Seahawks and the Titans. The Titans have really yeah. been scaring people. The Titans have been, you know, I think the team in that division. Listen, I think the Jaguars are impressing as well, but. I think the Titans are the team in the division to really threaten the Texans for the division title. And they played a home game against the Seahawks, two teams that don't play each, play each other once every four years. Talk about, I was very interested to see how these teams would mash up because you've got the Titans who've got a lot of positive skill position players, DeMarco Murray, Richard Matthews. I mean, they've got weapons. And then you've got an offensive line that is right up there with the Cowboys coupled against the Seahawks, who have the worst offensive line in football. And the only reason they're able to do anything is because Russell Wilson is absolute magic in a bottle. So what I thought was fa- I really was curious to see if Seattle was even going to be able to slow down Tennessee. And I think the shocking thing to me wasn't the fact that Tennessee won, but the fact that they were able to put up as much points as they could. They put up 33 points on this Seattle defense. And then 
the other thing that was shocking to me was the fact that Russell Wilson was able to even do what he did. The fact that he threw four touchdowns and nearly 400 yards when he was just getting pressured and hurried the entire game was amazing to me. But like the Patriots, this feels like a foreshadowing for their season falling apart because I don't see any you know light at the end of the tunnel for the Seattle offensive line. So I guess my question for you, Shaka, is talking about the Titans, what do you think about this Titans team? Do you think they're for real, and do you think they could actually take the division from the Texans? I think I didn't really take the Tennessee Titans seriously. I mean, we always thought they had the pieces to really kind of be threatening. You know, Richard Matthews is a possession monster. you got a one-two just, you know, savage running back committee with DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry. And then you've got a quarterback in Marcus Mariota who looked NFL-ready from day one. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you factor in just the other additions that they brought in in the offseason. They brought in Decker. They brought in Eric Decker, and they had Delaney Walker already. Already had him. You know, they, they they had pieces to really kind of make people nervous. But at the same time, I think we still didn't really kind of give them give them that serious they had when was last time the tennessee titans were a legitimate threat and i think i want to say maybe the days of steve mcnair you know but even then i wasn't really i you know it's it's been a while i want to say i i think it was the i think and i'm gonna tell you right now i I just i'm remembering it in my head this is my freakish football knowledge i don't have as freakish football knowledge as other people but i recall a season where the titans went 13 and 3 they had a first round bye i believe lendell white and Chris Johnson were the backfield. Oh, God. Was the quarterback the former Giants quarterback? Was it Collins? Was it Kerry Collins? Uh, it might have might have been Vince Young. Do you th- they, was it? Maybe, maybe it was Vince it Young. It might have been Vince had Young. one or two legit seasons. It might have still, and I think Fisher was still the coach, but they went 13-3, and they had a first-round bye, and I think they lost the divisional playoff game at home. But I think that was the last time the Titans were actually world beaters. Ever since then, they kind of middled around 8-8, eight and eight, and then they've been in the, in the toilet ever since. Yeah. I mean, it was you only a couple what? of years ago they were 2-14. and 14. I think that's when they fired Ken Wisenhunt and brought in Malarkey. But I re- yeah. the offensive line, is, is that's something I'm learning at least the last handful of years in football. If you've got a good offensive line, you can compete. I mean, ask the Cowboys, ask the Raiders. Uh, I mean, because without a good offensive line, I mean, it seems like the whole team falls apart. Ask Seattle, ask the Patriots. And so right now, it feels like I like what Tennessee did. They've built in all of the right places. They've got a quarterback. They've got an offensive line. They went and got DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry. Now they got Corey Davis. You know, they brought him in this year. They bring in, like, skill position across the board. And think about the secondary. They brought in Logan Ryan. I mean, they had Jonathan yeah. Cyprian, who's, who I think is injured right now. But, I mean, they already had Brian Arakpo. I mean, I'm sitting here now going, yo, this is a legitimate Tennessee Titans team. And Seattle, they got smacked around. I, I mean, I was, like I said, I was shocked at how many points the Titans put up on Seattle. Like, are you scared for Seattle's defense, Shaka? Uh, you know what? I think Seattle's defense is going to be okay. I still think... They have a few issues in terms of, well, obviously, the offense to kind of get in hand. I think one of the issues really is just that Seattle's defense is, like any good defense can get run down if they're on the field for too long. Mm-hmm. If your offense isn't really moving the chains, uh, and I think we should really give some credit, like you said, to Tennessee's offensive line. Marcus Mariota, 
uh, has been so money in terms of comp- pass completion that I think really we we kind of we're, again we're, we're sleeping on how scary good the Titans are on offense. They put up you know they put up twenty six in the first game. Mm-hmm. They put up thirty seven on Jacksonville. I mean, granted it's Jacksonville, but still, and they put up thirty three on Seattle. They're going to have a big test next week because they are playing the Texans next week. Yeah. So we're going to see if this defense is legit or not. Or sorry, this offense, if they can really hold up against, you know, a viable defense. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think we really should give most of the credit here to just the potency of one Marcus Mariota because the guy, again, he's he's been NFL ready since day one. He's got the poise. He's got the calmness. He doesn't really make mistakes. He fumbles every now and then. I think just he has that, you know, tendency to kind of get tunnel vision when he's looking downfield for his receivers. But I think he's got the he's got the goods, man. This is a franchise quarterback um, that's just really kind of finding his stride right now. So I think this season we're going to look and be surprised that he's going to put up some really big, big numbers this year, I think. I, I think I, I'll be talking about MVP candidate towards the end of the season. Wow, that's that's bold. I was I was certainly going to say I think the guy's matchup proof because you just nailed it, man. He beat the the Jaguars, the Seahawks, and now they're going up against the Texans. Jaguars and Seahawks, they've got good defenses, or at least we believe they have good yeah. defenses. And then he's going to go up against the Texans, who have a good defense as well. And I have a feeling that's going to be a hell of a game. And I'm excited to see it. And you know, real quick. Pop quiz for you, Shaka. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Who's a better quarterback right now? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with Mariota. I like Jameis Winston, but he has tendencies sometimes to kind of fade away into nothingness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think his team, not to, to, to knock the Mariota, I think Jameis Winston, his team needs him to be more of taking the charge because he doesn't have... He doesn't, he doesn't have the same supporting committee. cast as Mariota. Yeah, he doesn't have that kind of that, that running back committee that you can hand the ball off to and and catch your breath and give the defense a good scan, you know, that. And I, and I say this all the time, and I, the running back changes the way the offense can be laid out because now the defense actually has to respect what your lineup is on the field. I think that's one of the biggest problems the Giants have. When you look at the other side of the football for the Eagles, for example, when you've got, you've got a running back who can kind of instill a little bit of fear and respect and what you can really put on the field, of course, they're going to have to play you a little differently. They're going to have to take another step or two back in hesitation. And that, that gives you a yard. That gives you two yards. It gives you three yards. And, you know, those leads to first downs. So I think they really changed the pace of a football game. Jameis Winston does not quite have that in Tampa Bay right now. So I have to go with Mariota as the, the better quarterback. Okay. Shaka, I think that's about all we got. This is I wanted to cover these four games, and uh, we, we ripped them apart top to bottom. Um, I'm going to sign us off unless there's anything else you want to add. Um, any last, any re- a few remaining thoughts? Uh, you know what? I'm a little nervous because I look, I have mixed feelings, and I told you before, I got mixed feelings about the Jets actually winning a football game. It's kind of a sigh of relief, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm still, I've got one eye on the future, like a flickering look to go, oh my god, this is not good for the future. But I'm glad they won. Yeah. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be very, um, it's gonna be weird to see the Jets win or lose going forward and it's also gonna be weird to kind of see my emotions and just really ask myself what the fuck do you want what do you really want do you want this draft pick or do you want to win do you you want joy or what do you want potential so we'll we'll see what what how i um how i carry myself going forward well uh, well i'm looking forward to it as well and listen it's okay to say go jets go eagles and to celebrate a victory gosh darn it
<laughs> all right, that's all we got, guys. Thanks a lot for listening. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Instagram at Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter at Smithface Jones. Email Shaka and I with any mailbag questions at samsportsstation at gmail.com. Enjoy this weekend's slate of games. I'm sure they'll be very exciting. I'm gonna I'm certainly gonna be watching because I'm a freak show and can't not watch football. Uh, Shaka, are you gonna be watching as well? You know it. Always. Guys, thanks a lot for listening. We'll be back next week to break down some more games and uh, we'll uh, take it easy and you guys enjoy yourselves. Bye-bye. Enjoy the games, guys. <laughs>